I can feel it. The turn of the earth. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour and the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour and I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me, clinging to the skin of this tiny little world and if we let go, you're listening to Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. We're nerdy, opinionated, overeducated, sex positive, LGBTQAP plus friendly, and highly critical of the Moffat era. Spoilers, adult content, naughty language, and a general disregard for propriety may be found within. Oh, and did I mention we're married? Oh, sweet. Look at these two. How come I never get any of that? Buy me a drink first. Such hard work. But worth it. And hello again. Welcome to episode 17 of the Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who Love Story podcast. I am, as always, Daniel, joined by my lovely, wonderful, intelligent, way overeducated wife, Shayna. Say hello, Shayna. I'm starting to wonder if some of these descriptives aren't coming out a little bit sarcastically. Oh, um, no, no. I, I say that <laughs> completely honestly. I, I love my wife. We are. Uh, very happily married. This and, is true. And uh, we love talking about Doctor Who, which is what we're going to do today. Yay! Uh, today we're going to be talking about the almost distressingly uh, literally named uh, Into the Dalek, which is the second episode of uh, Series 8. Uh, Peter Capaldi's uh, officially second, but he kind of uh, appeared in some other earlier episodes in some weird confluence of things but uh officially his second uh foray as the doctor um and really his first kind of full episode where you kind of get to know what he what he's probably going to be like for the rest of his run mm-hmm. uh, at least uh hypothetically so uh that's what we're going to be talking about uh, in the main topic of this episode which is uh going to be a lot of fun and uh before we get to that i did want to uh just do a little bit of a Go back to an earlier theme, which we used to do, which I haven't done in a while, and I wanted to ask Shana a question as a little intro topic. Oh, yeah. Question time. It's question time. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. So, you are a Doctor Who fan, are you not? As a Doctor Who fan, if you, Shana, were cast as the Doctor, what kind of characteristics would you like your Doctor to have? Ooh... Hmm. I think I would want my doctor to lean toward the kind of mad scientist. Sure. Approach that we see a little bit more with like 10 of the, you know, logic and science and reason and these things that I thought of before. Um, But with the kind of whimsical qualities of the fourth doctor um this idea that he knows everything that's going on but um you can get on his bad side and he might just teach you a lesson in a way that you kind of like well you're kind of a dick but you were right so whatever (laughs) (laughs) um that kind of character somewhere between like 10 and and 4 i guess so you're basically in love with capaldi's interpretation so far right basically in love with capaldi's interpretation so far exactly sure uh we all know capaldi is the ascended fanboy um he is even more than tenant like which was kind of amazing to think that like there could be a bigger version of the ascended fanboy than david tenant who was like literally 
like got his start working on Big Finish audios years before he ever played the Doctor, just as like random characters because he heard they were doing Doctor Who and just wanted to be involved in some way, even if it was just as a voice actor. Yeah. Um, yes, no, but we have published historical proof that Capaldi... Capaldi's been a fan for literally like 40 years at this point. Yeah. Um, um, which is awesome. Yes. I knew as soon as you asked me that why you were asking me that. Um, but it's it's true for me as well. Um, uh, that there's a lot in Capaldi's performance that I'm like, yes, this is how I like to see the Doctor. Um, what about you? What kind of Doctor would you be? If you ask me, like, if you get to play whatever Doctor you want, I mean, for me, the, the key is, yes, um, clear scientific basis, like, clear, like, rationalist logic uh you know not less whimsical like very kind of concrete would be my doctor mm -hmm. uh but also um anti-authoritarian i think and and i would want the stories i was in to highlight that and i think that also leads us right into into the dalek which is very much about the conflict with the doctor and authoritarianism in various stripes yeah and I think that leads us, I think that's going to be one of the themes of Series 8 from what we're seeing yes. in Into the Dalek, which I'm actually excited by. Um, there's a lot in this episode that I'm really, really excited by, and I actually have hope for the future of this series that I haven't had in a long time. So that's kind of a new feeling for me right now, is the feeling of like maybe a Moffat-era series will actually kind of be good and do something that I actually really want and love, which well, scares me to have that much hope. But it's, it's uh, there's a lot. Because... There's also a lot that is uh, not very good. So we're going to get into both yeah. of those. And if you followed us tweeting, you, you uh, probably saw me say that an actual quote that was said in our household while watching this episode was, our standards are really low right now, but I'm really enjoying myself. Yes. So um, let's move right into Into the Dalek, uh, shall we? Yeah. Um, I want to just kind of, we both live tweeted this, and hopefully, uh, I think in the future, one of us will tweet it and one of us will go on Tumblr and kind of live, you know, tumble slash tweet it. Uh, and we'll probably switch roles week to week. That way we kind of spread our social media uh, pollen all over the place, um, kind of sperminate everywhere, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we were definitely live tweeting. And like most of, like about halfway through the episode, I just stopped tweeting because I got really involved in the story. And I was really yeah. curious about where it was going to go. And I didn't really want to like spend my time dicking around on my phone to like talk about it. Um, so yeah, no. which is thought... which is really amazing for me because I didn't expect that to happen where I was like suddenly into it you know i was surprised that we finally had and i i mean you <laughs> i don't even have to repeat it because i've said it probably in every single podcast we've done you know i like when you get a strong kind of storyline that features the sideline characters and this episode began with this soldier um losing her brother and we saw an entire story arc for her um, as a character. And she was a compelling character. And there was interesting things that happened with her and some of the other soldiers as well. You're talking about Journey Blue here. Journey Blue, yes. Yes. 
um, which is a great name for a character. Absolutely. And the fact that we have Danny Pink and they kind of lampshade the fact that they both have colors for names. Yeah. I, you know, it's a very Moffaty thing to do for that to either for that to have no consequence whatsoever and it's just a red herring mm -hmm. or for it to be really, really obviously telegraphed. So we'll see yeah. which one it ends up being. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. But at this, but you know, if it's involved with a character with a real story and real heart and real, I love that we had this side character that was fighting with the doctor and Clara as the companion got to be put into a position where she got to say, you know, I don't know if he's right or wrong. Absolutely, and there there's a lot to to love in that, um, and I I was definitely down with that idea, um, no questions. Um, let's uh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, if you want to start back at the beginning, do you want to give brief summary of the episode? Why don't you give a brief summary of the episode of the plot of the episode? Okay. Uh, or can I just say it's the uh, fantastic voyage into the Dalek? That's fair. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, everybody gets miniaturized and we go into a Dalek and, uh, it's ultimately the, the ultimate story is about whether this Dalek who is essentially brain damaged to be a good character, mm -hmm. a quote unquote good, uh, morally character, mm -hmm. uh, is actually damaged or whether there is a such thing as can you make a Dalek good? And mm -hmm. I think that's the central question that they're trying to, mm -hmm. uh, address here and i don't think i think that the execution fails a little bit but i think that i've been so desperate for any kind of big science fiction idea like this yeah. that the fact that they were even attempting it um just kind of filled my my little heart with glee honestly no absolutely they're they were they were attacking some big topics here yeah um and there were lots of moments that the writing failed and undercut those bigger moments. Um, but at the same time, I was I for this episode, I was able to hold on to it and enjoy it. And even through some really bad writing that Capaldi managed to turn into, like, I don't know, it better right? <laughs> I don't. Know. Uh, Capaldi Capaldi managed to sell. Uh, to some degree, even the really um, on the nose is is mm -hmm. kind of the you know there's a I think this script was good mm -hmm. I think it could use a a little a, another pass through mm -hmm. uh, I think they could have used a little bit of a let's go back and rewrite some of this to to make it a little less on the nose I do think that um, if I have two complaints about the writing here. Um, I think that the, the writing is a little on the nose. They, they tend to hammer points home in a way that I would rather them see them back away from a little bit. And yeah. the other thing is that they definitely are reusing elements from earlier in the series. And in fact, even from um, a ton of it from uh, Christopher Eccleston's episode Dalek, uh, yeah. which you and I have actually talked about on this, uh, on this podcast. So, Yeah, and <laughs> again... Our standards are low. Um, if they're going to rehash from any episode, I'd rather they rehash from Dalek. Right, and right. I mean, you know. Keeping uh, Angels again. Um, sure, sure. So, I mean, yes, there's that point. And um, there are still gender issues in this episode all over the map of, again, we have Clara with 
a romantic interest. And again, that romantic interest, even though he is an adult man, acts like a 12-year-old boy. Can, can um, we talk a little bit about Danny Pink uh, just to get him out of the way? Because uh, I, I feel like this episode is credited to Phil Ford and Stephen Moffat. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like Phil Ford wrote all the stuff that wasn't in present day. And then you kind of cut back to, and now Stephen Moffat writes the uh, romantic comedy bits with Danny Pink and uh, Clara wanting to go on a date. I, I really feel like there's there's not as much of a Moffaty feel to the rest of the episode. But whenever yeah. you're sitting in, in Cole Hill School and you've got the... And now uh, this guy is doing, you know, those elements, I, the the, arc, the overarching elements, I feel like that's where Stephen Moffat was writing. Everything else was Phil Ford, which may or may not be true, but that's sort of like, I feel like the first 15 or 20 minutes of this episode where you're um, dealing with the Danny Pink character and uh, we're kind of getting the story started, um, I was well, kind of yeah. iffy on, but once we kind of started dealing with the actual meat of the episode, I was down for it. I was really excited at first because I was thinking, oh, they're trying to take this overarching theme of an episode of war and the essential nature of good and evil and what does it mean to be a soldier, and they are trying to make it a contemporary issue. Here is a teacher at Clara's school who was a soldier, Um, and saw battle and clearly regrets or, you know, has doubts about what he did. I thought, I was like, okay, you're setting up this really interesting character. But he sheds one tear and suddenly... And we get a really big close-up of that tear. Like... It's so... It's over the top. That's that that on-the-nose, over-the-top kind of, you know... It would have been enough to see how the children reacted. That And, I mean, that was a great moment, and... Again, I, I got a little excited because I was like, man, there's a lot of diversity casting, you know, like we've got a black teacher and there's an Asian student. Oh, my God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow, your standards are so low at this point. So low. Um, but then you have this person of color who I'm like, oh, wow, they might be a key character. They're getting some cool character development. But as soon as he's around Clara, he's this bumbling 12-year-old um He's literally beating his head on a desk because he's, uh, like, upset with how he... uh, Handled something with Clara. Where, where, like, he was crying, and then, like, she mentions, oh, crying, and then he, like, they go through this extended, uh, stupid, meet-cute thing where, like, oh, no, no, I wasn't crying. Of course, you know, like... uh, And for me, also, it reinforces that gender stuff where he's guy so he can't admit that he's crying it completely looks over the fact that this man who is a elementary school teacher and a soldier just actually did a very like a decent job of talking to his students about war like so we see him as both extremely competent and then immediately completely incompetent um right because you know men can't control themselves about around women Right. Um, the, which, which is odd because then the other thing, and this kind of doesn't relate but does relate, so just follow me. There is, for some reason, a very obvious theme now of talking about Clara being a boy. Uh, yeah, and I don't know where this is going. No I'm... clue. 
Strax calls her a boy all the time. Um, she gets called, said she's built like a man. Um, I don't know if it's like we have to make fun of her being boyish because otherwise she's too clever. Um, she's too smart. She's too on the nose. She has to be boyish to be able to save the day. Um, I don't know if he's going to get that literal with it. <laughs> right. But like... there's, there's a lot going on with Clara so that adding this other romantic relationship is just overblown at this point. Sure. And to me, it's like, if you didn't know from just reading the press releases, like, oh, this Danny Pink character is going to be the new companion at some point like he's the new recurring character mm -hmm. you wouldn't necessarily go oh well clearly this guy's going to be important except that we spend a ton of time with him um you know i don't know that we get enough of a like view of who he is to care about him at least i don't really care about him right now no um we'll see kind of how that develops and you um, know but you know who i cared way more about journey blue journey blue Journey Blue is the, and that's exactly where I was going to go with this. Journey Blue is the exact opposite, where you see her, and again, I'm just going to mention Moffat stealing from himself. He's stealing from Rat of the Doctor here. You've got a crashing spaceship. You've got a female character who is rescued by the Doctor. Although in Night of the Doctor, she isn't really rescued. She's almost rescued. But, you know, rescued by the Doctor, runs into the Doctor, and is admire, admirable for her uh, strength in dealing with the situation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he's, he is ripping off from himself here. But it's good. It's really good. And um, one thing that, like, because uh, the Doctor materializes the TARDIS around her, she shows up, he's literally holding a pair of coffees, and he's just standing there. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've seen people remarking upon is how, um, contrary to uh, David Tennant and Matt Smith, who are very energetic as performers as the Doctor, mm -hmm. uh, Capaldi is very still. And yes, no. he, he stands, and this is this is... You know, a lot of doctors, you know, a lot of the classic doctors are a lot more still, but Capaldi is particularly still even by those standards, um, particularly in this scene. Um, and he has some really nice lines here. Every action that Capaldi has feels very purposeful. Right. And this is, uh, you know, I keep kind of saying just like good acting because that's what Capaldi, uh, Capaldi is a very good actor who is very passionate about this role. Right. And I think that when the writing is mediocre, you can still feel it. But I think when the writing gets even a little bit better, he just he, like, I I'm, I'm seriously fangirling for him. Oh no. Uh, I'm fangirling for him and I have a penis. So, you know, there's that, but uh, that, that moment where he says, where he's standing there and she's got a gun at him and she says, you know, take me to where, take me to my ship, et cetera, you know. And he's basically like, you, you, you know, you're not asking me right or you're not saying, you know, say it again, say it right, do it. I forget the exact line, but he's, he's, he's making her ask him to do it as opposed to ordering him to do it. Yeah. Um, and he's still holding his coffees and she's like, I could kill you and I could just do it myself. And he says, you'd starve to death before you found the light switch, which is mm -hmm. such a, like, Capaldi sells that in a heartbeat. And I believe it, you know, of, of this, yes. of this character. Like, you wouldn't even, you would starve to death before you found the light switch. Like, and that's what this ship is, you know. What I love about 
his delivery and his doctor so far is that's not even a criticism coming out of his mouth. No, it's not. But it's 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 like, a like I I'm respect you completely, way. but I'm just telling you the truth. Like you would it's it's not a dig upon you. It's a this ship is beyond your imagination. Yeah. I think, you know, so far Capaldi's doctor for me has really been the doctor that cuts through the bullshit. Mhm. And he's not immature and mean the way that Eleven had a tendency of being. He is perhaps enable of candy coating. Um, and it's a similar dynamic, but one is much more like respectable and I like him. <laughs> well, Capaldi and, and I, in a, in a previous episode, I talked about uh, comparing the doctor to Gregory house from the TV show house MD, you know, yeah. who uh, is irascible and kind of a dick to the people around him. But it's because he's just really smart and because he's right. And comparing the 11th Doctor, who is just being a dick for no good reason, you know? Right. Um, I feel like Capaldi, the, the pre-release uh, advertisements all talked about Capaldi being a darker, you know, he's not going to be your friend. He's not going to be, he's going to be a little bit more of a, you know, a, a prickly character. And I like, like, it feels more like a kind of early series, uh, the early seasons of House, well, Gregory House kind of doctor, yes. you know? And it bothers me because I don't feel like he's prickly. He's angry. And yes. I think what is really interesting is he is angry um, in a way that gives him clarity. Um, my line, you, you just quoted a different line um, that he said, uh, the light switch line. My line was, he was dead already. I was saving us. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and uh, that is a, it is a harsh thing for us to imagine the Doctor to say, yeah. uh, based on uh, the last few Doctors, you know, uh, but I do think that it's a uh, realistic, like, this is just the perspective he has at a certain point, is to say, you are dead, there's nothing I can do for you, you know, um, hopefully... And I think that where we're going to end up with at the end of Series 8 is that the uh, the Capaldi Doctor opens up and starts communicating more and is just as cut through the bullshit but is more empathetic. And right now he is lost of his empathy. Um, but I really like this portrayal right now, and I'm really interested in, in where this leads. Yeah, um, and that actually leads up to the quote that I wanted to read really well. Uh, let's do that at the end, just to uh, finish off the show, unless you have uh, particular comments on the quote. That, that's kind of why I was saying it led up. To okay, let's just, let's just read the quote. Go. <laughs> so, at near the end of the episode, Clara and the Doctor are sitting there, and Clara says, you're scared. He says, I'm terrified. Of what? The answer to my next question, which must be honest, cold, and considered without kindness or restraint. Clara, be my pal and tell me, am I a good man? And she says, I don't know. And I think that that's really where we're going to land on um, Series 8. You know, there's always a central question that we're asking that and we're trying that's to answer. Question, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, like, is the Doctor a good man? That is a fundamental thing that we as Doctor Who fans can talk about with every Doctor. Like, through, like, almost every story. It's like, well, did the Doctor make the right decision? 
Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we run into that again and again and again as fans. And uh, I, it's a, it's amazing that we're suddenly getting like really like a really good question. Whereas Series 7 was, Doctor Who, let's find out his name. Although we're never going to find out his name and it doesn't matter anyway. Well, And, and Series I, 8 is an actual interesting philosophical question. If the question know? is, who am I? The answer is angsty. And, you know, I don't know, man. Like, I'm whoever I want to be. Like, it, it, it's a very different journey than, am I a good or a bad person? Right. And... Because that's really much more about, you know, the archetype of you know, the battle and good of good and evil and what do those mean? And um, it leads us into much more interesting territory. Um, it also opens up conversations where we have a lot of character development. Yeah. Um, but which takes me back to one thing uh, with Journey Blue. Uh, at the end of the episode, she asks to go with them. And he says, and he says, no, because I, you know, basically I'd love you for you to come with me, but you're a soldier and I can't take you with me. Um, which is, uh, interesting if we're going to explore that and it looks like we are. Um, I would love to see, I mean, honestly, again, I would love to see Journey Blue travel with the doctor more than Danny Pink at this point. I mean, we'll see what, what, um, Danny ends up being, but you know. And that's why, you know. I I said I sh- she sh- he should have taken the soldier, and I think it would have been really interesting. Um, I really liked their chemistry as two actors together. I liked this idea that if he was talking about um, his views on being a soldier, and I guess if if we know I'm I I was not following the buzz. I did not know that Danny Pink is going to be the, our next companion for a while. Well, they say recurring character, and I think people are kind of assuming he's going to be a companion at some point. So we're going to get... Like a Mickey to Like I think it's not... I I don't know, but I kind of get the feeling that we're actually going to have a group of three. It's going to be more Rory Amy, you know? Rory Amy and the Doctor travel together, like, sort of deal. Well, Maybe there will be a more romantic, and maybe there won't. Like, we'll kind of see how that goes. but... But anyway, um knowing that eventually he is apparently going to take a soldier or the soldier's going to stick around this idea of, you know, questioning what, what makes you a good and a bad person and, you know, being a soldier. Uh, there are very clear implications there of, of what kind of conversations they're looking to have. <laughs> right. I mean, and uh, one of the things, I mean, Probably the one really interesting idea that we've seen from the Moffat run so far is this idea of the the doctor kind of travels as just this random guy going around and like trying to fix things and he's just like some dude. But he ends up being this mythological figure, this mythic, hugely important character who is like toppling empires mm-hmm. because he's just that guy mm-hmm. um and that people respond to that in the way that they respond to that and i think that moffat that the moffat era has not dealt with that and as uh like if they're going to start dealing with it they have not dealt with it in a concrete way they've kind of glanced around it and they've pretended they've dealt with it but they really haven't but if we are going to start exploring that i'm i'm interested in seeing that explored 
Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, the, the only other things we have to say are my issues of the fact that we do have still thinly veiled sexism and homophobia and racism um, coming out of the doctor's mouth and, and other characters um, in the way that it's written. And so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm really torn. I'm really excited that this season could be good or this series could be really good. But I also don't know if I trust Moffat with such serious subjects. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. I, I agree. I am, I am hopeful at the end of Into the Dalek. Yeah. There is a lot that I'm still uh, worried about. But suddenly we are actually doing, or at least attempting to do, a bigger idea, which yes. excites me. Yes. Um, I will say, uh, just to kind of look into the because we've been talking for like 30 minutes or so and we haven't even really talked about the plot of the episode oh, yeah. um so if you if you want to if we want to take a few minutes and and uh talk about the actual meat so quote unquote of the episode um so yeah. we we do miniaturization as a uh as a thing um they miniaturize the doctor and clara and a few soldiers and they actually go into a Dalek. And this Dalek is being um, held captive by this group of people in the future who are essentially engaged in some kind of war with the Daleks, um, which is uh, reasonable uh, for kind of future Doctor Who history. Uh, definitely, I mean, big shades of Dalek of, of the Eccleston episode. And you can't... I can't imagine we're meant to view this episode except for in line with... Dalek. It's just I can't, right. you know. Well, um, and the big difference being that the Dalek in Dalek does turn out to be good in a way, um, and the Dalek in this episode ultimately proves that Daleks can never be good. Well, um, the Dalek and Dalek, and this is this is kind of where I would land on this big idea is, you know, is a good Dalek? And the answer is, well, what does a good Dalek do? What if a Dalek were to become good? Mm -hmm. The only thing it could do would be to destroy itself. Mm -hmm. You know, that is uh, because because it's just in so much pain and has done so many horrible things that there is no way it could live with itself. Um the idea of a Dalek deciding to go and try to destroy uh, other civilization, or, you know, their their own, you know, to destroy other Daleks is also an interesting idea. Um, mm -hmm. It's almost as if that's something that Star Trek might have dealt with um, oh my God. Back, back with the Borg, with Seven oh of Nine God. in Star he Trek Voyager. quote of the Borg line. Right. I mean, I'm sure some people will say, like, Oh, it's cute. It's tongue in cheek. It's an illusion. I don't know. Just kind of felt like plagiarism. Kind of felt like he said, "Oh, if we reference the Borg here, I don't have to do any more writing because now I've just referenced these other people's creation, and you'll kind of fill in um, right. what I'm talking about." That was obnoxious. Well, the one thing that I'll say is that it feels like a little bit of a subversion because in Star Trek Resistance is Futile is about like saying that line is you can't resist us where the Borg whereas here he says resistance is futile and then you get a beat so you recognize the line mm -hmm. but then the idea is that resistance to the beauty of the universe is futile for the Dalek 
on some yeah. level. So kind of I can so, like it feels like there's a again it feels maybe a little bit on the nose or it feels like it could have gone through another pass through, but at least you could say okay we're subverting that idea a little bit. Um, we're we're playing with the words and we're you know acknowledging the the debt while at the same time expanding upon it. I still find it really obnoxious. Oh no, no, I I do think I mean I, suddenly do your own your own writing for yourself. <laughs> sure. Um, when he says resistance is futile, I actually hit pause on the uh, DVR, and you and I both uh, tweeted at that moment. Furiously like, tweeted. Like like literally like oh my god what what are we doing here you know it's ridiculous. Um, so uh, it, it was a it was a very uh, clear moment. Um, other things that are ripped off. Can we can we just kind of uh, go through that while we're uh, sitting? Yeah, here? sure. What what else would you like to mention, Dan? Well, um, there are again three episodes in the classic series that deal with miniaturization. Right. Um, and uh, not you know there's a little bit of uh, those are Planet of the Giants. The Invisible Enemy and Carnival of Monsters, and those are just from my memory. So if I missed one or two, then I apologize, and I'm sure our, our legion of fans will uh, correct me on that. But um, no, you get a little bit of uh, just in the set design, it kind of felt a little Carnival of Monsters to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I just kind of put that out there, and uh, the plot kind of has a little bit of an Invisible Enemy feel to it. Um, the big one though is in the new series, the Tesselecta. Uh, the uh, the android that uh, was going to kill Hitler in Let's Kill Hitler, mm -hmm. and that ends up being the kind of saving grace at the end of series six. Um, also, you had to deal with antibodies, and you had to you know run away from uh, these things that are trying to kill you because you're an invader. Um, so again, that's the kind of Moffat the Moffat era stealing from itself thing, which I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, and you know I will say. The antibodies, this kind of pseudo-biological science put into the, I mean, well, not pseudo-biological science, basic biological science. Um, it's pseudo, it's, it's, no, it's bad science, don't get me wrong. It's, but, you know, you know th that, I liked that, I appreciated that, um, that there was like an attempt to science it up, um. Well, there's an attempt to say, okay, we're actually, if we're, if this was actually happening, there would be antibodies, and these antibodies would behave in a certain way. And, you know, there's an attempt to actually, like, build a premise and then build consequences on that premise, um, which is very, very basic. Like, this is what science fiction should always I know. do. I just started realizing that I was like, I was, I really liked that there was even a basic level of, like, you know, <laughs> uh, there, there's an idea that somebody thought further ahead than 10 seconds there is literally a rationale to what's going on there that i don't have to go huh <laughs> right that you're not literally just pulling your hair out and going this doesn't make any sense at all um this episode was written by phil ford who uh has written for dr who before he wrote waters of mars I love Waters of Mars. Exactly. So, um, not not exactly unexpected that this would be a good episode. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. And you know, I I haven't mentioned this yet. I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Go ahead. Capaldi has this ability to kind of say every line with this Scottish growl. The the uh, are you? Go ahead. Go ahead. 
I find it very attractive. So you get a little turned on listening to Capaldi just talk. I adore him. I uh, I do like his acting ability. I all of those things that we've said, but I'm also like, <laughs> it's fun to say to listen to him say these lines because they sound all real good. I uh, I definitely uh, you know I don't have the immediate uh, physical sexual attraction to Capaldi that you apparently do, but I will say that uh, I I love Capaldi. He's great. Uh, I will say that uh, in the next episode, I think I'm going to start turning on the captions because he does uh, descend into Glasgowian incomprehensibility at Every times. Couple, yeah, a couple of times. I had no clue what he was saying, uh, and I kind of loved it. I, I just, I, I kind of wanted to be like, I'll bet there's a really good line there. I, I, I th- I'll bet that's really funny if I knew what he was saying. And, uh, you know, I just, I just kind of accepted it and moved on. But, uh, yeah, no, one of I these days I'm going to. One Go back and rewatch it with you watching these episodes. Yes, yeah. I have a feeling. No, this is one. I mean, this is one of the. I mean, without you know praising it too much, this is one of my favorite episodes of the entire Moffat run. Honestly, yeah. Um, yeah. just watching it, and I'm like, wow, I I liked this. You know, it's funny. Like we really do have such low standards for it. It's like I was actually interested. There was an idea that I actually kind of wanted to see the end of. Uh, yeah. the the villain was was quite interesting like etc you know and we're uh you know, it's such a such a simple like set of things but also it's been so long since we've seen it that um really nice to see yeah and you know i think i think we are excited for the rest of the series and that's not usually how you and i react after the first couple of episodes so um, I'm not going to say it's my favorite ever episode of Doctor Who, but yeah, favorite of the Moffat era. Um, it's right up there. It's definitely in my top five if it's not my number one. Right. Um, I will say uh, just to just to kind of because we're, we're actually like it's funny, like some of these episodes that we've talked about, we've had a hard time filling like the space. Uh-huh. Here, there's a lot to really talk about, and I feel like we could sit and talk for another hour, but I don't really want to. I think we need to wrap up in the next, like, 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, so, like, uh, nicely done. I will say um, there is uh, one thing that has to happen, or I will immediately want to, like, punch Moffin in the face. Yeah. Uh, something needs to get named after Gretchen. Yes. If yes. if in series eight we don't get something awesome named after Gretchen, then I will punch Moffat in the face. That is uh, because that's just too uh, too obvious a a thing that they're laying down for us, and that is too uh, great and, a moment. And on yeah, a really great character moment. I really liked that character. I really liked that moment where you had. A, a female character yep. standing up and saying, if we need somebody to sacrifice their lives, I will do it, but name something fucking cool after me. But, I love but, that. But, you know, I will, you know, the, the idea of the greater good, you know, the idea of I will, I sacrifice myself. I believe in you, doctor, to save this, to, to save this situation. Just please remember me, you know, like... Um, it's a little bit, uh, comes out of nowhere and it's a little bit haphazard. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it feels like we could have used a little bit more time to kind of play with these characters. But um, well done. I thought, I thought, yes. So if something isn't fucking named after Gretchen by the end of Series 8, then uh, I will be upset. Oh, definitely. I think, I think for the first, I mean, she stands out so much to me because, and in this whole episode, there are characters that I'm like really happy to have. Journey Blue and, and what's her whole name? She says it. Uh, I was just trying to look it up. I don't, it's not on the Wikipedia page and I don't want to click around to find we'll, it. We'll but... get it eventually. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Gretchen. Um, you had two actually strong female characters, mm-hmm. vulnerable, who are not sexualized, who are not, not objectified, and they both get to have heroic moments. They both get to have interesting moments. And when I say you know quote unquote strong female character, I mean it's a, more than the stereotypical strong female character. There was depth. And these were side characters in an episode. And they these both... are these are one off characters that you get like an actual personality from who and actually get to do something for the plot. And they both had really powerful moments with the doctor. And Clara gets to do stuff in this episode yeah. and she gets to be cool. Yeah. Um she gets to do some she gets to be a character. Um and have agency. <laughs> let me let me back up for just a second. Um I do think that it's interesting that we've just kind of like gotten to this point to where um, they've essentially just forgotten the fact that Clara was ever a governess or was ever a uh, a babysitter or whatever. Yeah. And she is now like she's just a teacher and they've just kind of like that's just her backstory now. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, if we are now going to be kind of fairly consistent and we're going to keep seeing her as a school teacher, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. Um, but it is sort of one of those like, yeah, well, so apparently you had to write her four or five times and then finally figured out what you actually wanted to do with that character. Um, Jenna Coleman, I don't think Jenna Coleman gets crap. I think Clara gets crap from certain segments of fandom who just don't like her as a character. And I think that it just comes down to she's written really inconsistently, but uh, apparently they're trying to start writing her a little more consistently, which is good. Yeah, and um, it'd still be nice to kind of resolve some of the past issues. I don't know if we ever will be able to because of what the issues were. Um, <laughs> right. But whatever. I'm I'm enjoying what's going on right now. And yeah. If you if you pretend she starts with series eight, she's a good character so far. Yeah. <laughs> like exactly. Just ignore what happened beforehand, and uh, she's they're actually giving her things to do, which is exciting. So, and, you know, also to add on to that, I'm, I'm happy to feel like maybe if there are some people out there that decided to start watching Doctor Who with this doctor, that they're not going to get turned away. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, if, if they may have been turned off by Matt Smith, I feel like this is definitely something that would be, uh, gosh, more accessible. Sure. Uh, I want to I want to end and just kind of talk a little bit about um, the uh, Verity podcast in an episode recently. And I know you don't listen to other podcasts at all. I'm but, sorry. Uh, I'm a bad person. Yes, you are. Um, the Verity podcast did an episode where they talked about uh, because they're doing a villain theme this year mm-hmm. and talking about Doctor Who villains. And they kind of do like uh, and they talked about silent villains. 
you know, uh, villains that don't speak or that speak sparingly or whatever. Um, and Moffat does this over and over and over again. And I think it was interesting, like, listening to the episode because you don't really, at least for me, I don't really think, like, oh, yeah, that's one of, like, Moffat's tropes. But it is. It's really one of those, like, Moffat just comes back to, you look at the Vash and Arata, and then you look at the, I mean, even the clockwork droids in Girl in the Fireplace. Um, okay. You know, uh, the Slender Man or the Whisper Man and, and all the, uh, the Snowman and all the, you know, he has so many villains that are silent um, because they are these kind of collective force of nature, the Weeping Angels, the silence, you know. Um, these collective force of nature kind of villains that don't really have personalities. Mm-hmm. And for me, at least, I think that one of the keys that people really like about the Moffat run is if you like that kind of villain, if you like those kinds of, you know, just kind of vaguely menacing kind of things standing on the sideline. For me, I really like it when villains have personalities yeah. and characterization. And it's more of like an individual making decisions. And I think that's what we're seeing in this episode is Rusty, the the, uh, damaged Dalek, Mm -hmm. is a, you know, the Daleks can kind of be that, but they speak and they have personality. Mm -hmm. Even in the early series, um, even way back at the very beginning, they had like these very well-defined personalities. And here you get a Dalek that is, has a very different kind of personality, but that is... um, interesting and dynamic and um for me i just feel more involved with a villain that actually will speak and has like things going on and uh has motivations that are uh tangible i think for me there's a certain amount of with moffat's villains i definitely get the feeling that he is trying to uh let your imagination do a lot of the work and I have no problem with having some some room for my imagination to play with with what the villain is and um, that kind of thing. But I also <laughs> that doesn't mean that I want them to be completely my imagination. Where you get some characters that just feel like here's a character design, and we're gonna have them walk around real creepy and menacing like. Um, I, I, I agree that there's a balance and, um, I guess for me is like, I just feel like we've seen over and over again in the Moffat era, these villains that really don't have a kind of clear motivation and a clear idea. And they're just a right. visual without a, uh, a personality. Exactly. And to have essentially Rusty is the kind of individual villain who kind of becomes a hero at the end mm-hmm. and then are of sorts. But, uh, you know that that is the that that is the central idea, but the, then you've got this character who is you know when you have an actual character that you can think about and respond to, it's just so much more interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it, you know my favorite episodes when there are Daleks and Cybermen are the episodes where <laughs> they get sassy. Um, even the the original Cybermen episode, there was much. They had some personality because they the tenth planet you're talking about. Yeah, they kind of re- mocked um, um, humans as you know the the less advanced beings. And um, in Ten's episode where they have the Cybermen and the Daleks, what episode is that? Uh, that is uh, 
uh, Army of Ghosts slash, uh, is it Doomsday? I don't think it's Doomsday. Part, no, I forget the name of the title. Shit. Well, you, you did this to me. Okay, I know. Yeah. Bad fan on us all. Um, but there's that standoff between the Cybermen and the Daleks, and they say... It is Doomsday. I was right. Motherfucker. I should have <laughs> just gone with it. <laughs> but, like, you have them say, you know, you think you could defeat all the Cybermen with, with four Daleks? And the Daleks like, no, we could defeat all the Cybermen with one. You know? It, there's a humor and a kind of play of these are genuinely different villains. They may be similar, but look at how they're different and how they interact. Right. Whereas a lot of Moffat's villains, it's just like, oh, here's a variation on a theme. You know, Rusty is not a villain that you can defeat with a mirror, which the Weeping Angels you can defeat with a mirror. And I think that's one of those, like, just things that... uh, bothers me just fundamentally about the yeah like a lot of the moffat villains is like you can do you know you you can't just stay out of the shadows and stay away from rusty as a villain Mm -hmm. so anyway um that that's a more uh abstract point um wow there's so much more to talk about in this episode but uh we're done Um, all right yeah um but if you have other thoughts you would like to share please um go ahead no <laughs> no i think i'm good um no any any thoughts uh, about where we're going in series eight um with uh, danny pink or with missy which we didn't even talk about in this episode right so we get Clara. missy again um we get a little glimpse of her and we kind of get the sense of you know um i will say she was less um bdsm mary poppins and more straight up Mary Poppins in this episode for me. There was less of like the kind of ominous feel about her. Sure. Um, so I don't know if that's going to be meaningful in any way. Or if it's just, you know, coincidental as it sometimes is with Moffat. Can, can I predict what I think Missy's going to be? Yeah, and I might do this in every episode, just uh, predict ahead of time and just see yeah. if I can land on the truth. Yeah. Um, in the good version of Series 8, which we might have the good version of Series 8, but yeah. um, I think the good writing version of this is that Missy ends up being a like essentially a Time Lord or some other, you know, kind of high-level being in the universe who is uh, collecting all the people who have been killed uh, either by or in service of the Doctor and is uh, standing in judgment of him. Yeah, no, that would be really cool. Um, I don't know that that's what we're getting. Because clearly, you know, we, we see, you know, uh, the cyborg from Deep Breath, and then here, uh, you know, at least one of the people who was killed in this episode, you know, ends up with her. Yeah. So I think that would be a really interesting idea if we're going to essentially have... And it would go back to um, something that Moffat's done before in, in Series 5 with the Pandora Opens, you know, the idea of uh, the Doctor in judgment by, uh, you know, his enemies, essentially. Um, also, it goes back to Trial of a Time Lord from uh, 1986. But, yeah. Uh, um, and and I... the which was name-checked in uh, the end of last year. But still, like, I think no. that could be a really interesting idea. I think that that could be really interesting. I think the idea um, that part of what the doctor is working on is 
his anger and hatred and knowing that that's not who he wants himself to be as was kind of referenced a couple points in the in the episode um when the dalek looks inside and sees hatred right um and he's like no no that's then you have not seen this has not been right or whatever right right um <laughs> can i can i end with a quote from a non-doctor who source sure this is from the iron giant yeah where the iron giant sorry spoilers for the iron giant which is 15 <laughs> years old but uh the iron giant is standing and is a you know is demolishing all the things around him and has gotten his memory back and uh uh it stands with its uh gun standing over hogarth and hogarth is like cowering and says you know uh guns are bad guns kill and you don't have to be a gun yeah and now uh i've just made myself uh tear up just a little bit because it's such an amazing moment because you see this amazing thing turn into this very dark thing and i think that that's i think that you know if series eight ends up being really good it could be kind of about that idea of the doctor gets to choose whether or not he wants to be a gun or not. And, and um, that would be awesome. I would, I would love to see that be what we see this season. Um, am, am I, am I having too high a hope for this season right now? I, I might very well. Maybe, maybe. Um, but I do think, we are already getting a sense that at the very least we are going to have a doctor who is questioning himself, which is a good, which is a good sign. And who can say casually to Kara, Clara, rather, be a pal. Tell me if am I good or evil? Yeah. And I I think that that approach to the doctor, both in writing and in acting, is something that. I, I'm really interested to see more of, and I hope that we get to see more of that specifically this series. I would agree. All right. I think that sounds like a really good place to leave it. Uh, any more thoughts on uh, Into the Dalek? Uh, Capaldi's hot. That's it. <laughs> I have a ton more I was going to talk about, but I uh, we're, we're out of time. So uh, good enough for now. Um all right. If you want to find us, uh, we are on Facebook. Uh, Oi Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. Um, search us out and uh, follow us on Facebook. And I'm trying to uh, post to that as often as I can. Find stuff to post about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, just search for Oi Spaceman. And uh, we should be somewhere in that list. Um, you can find us each on Tumblr and Twitter. Uh, I am Daniel E. Harper on both Tumblr and Twitter, and Shana is Inkyosa, I-N-K-Y-O-S-A. You can email us at oispacemanpodcast. That's oispacemanpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing feedback, um, and if you have recommendations for future episodes, we'd love to hear it. Or if you just want to tell us we're idiots, um, we would uh, like to hear that too. Yeah, always love to hear a different point of view. Yes. Um, all right. Any any other uh, comments or you feel like we're done? I feel like we're done. All right. Uh, thanks a lot to everyone for listening to this episode. You will uh, hear the next episode, uh, which is uh, R- Robot of Sherwood is a series, uh, episode three of series eight, yep. uh, which uh, might might be a really cute episode. We'll see how it goes. So, Robin uh, Hood... I'm I'm excited about Robin Hood. I will say that. Are you really? I 
I am a fan of Robin Hood stories. I am. I it between Disney and Kevin Costner. <laughs> I'm a kid of the '90s. What can I say? Uh, that's how it goes. Well, yeah, no, Disney was the '60s, but that's fair. All right, thanks a lot to everybody for listening. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. We're going to talk about Robot of Sherwood, and until then, um, the balcony's closed. <laughs> Uh, Cisco and Neighbor used to end that way every week, so I know, honey. <laughs> All right, bye, guys. That that's why I giggled. <laughs>